Welcome to Season 2 of Quad Life. I'm your host, Brian Bell. On today's show, we have James Heckner, President and Co-Founder of Accessible Okanagan. James survived a motor vehicle accident in 1997, leaving him a T6-T7 Asia-A complete spinal cord injury. He became a successful salesman in surveying and engineering software, along with providing customized medical equipment. His biggest passion and accomplishment is being the co-founder and president of Accessible Okanagan, a unique community of wheelchair users who use the power of peer support to educate and uplift individuals with disabilities. Now a community liaison for Praxis Spinal Cord Institute, James combines community and knowledge translation to bring the latest research to the forefront. When he's not out in the community, you can find James out on his hand cycle, out on the lake, and enjoying life to the fullest. Welcome to Quad Life, James. Thanks a lot. It's great to be here. So, James, after doing a little bit of research, I see you are a very active individual. What have you done and what would you like to do next sort of thing? You know, what's, what's, what's coming up? You mean like activity-wise or uh, just life ambitions or all of the above? Yeah, like some of the things that you've done so far and what are some of the things that you're really looking forward to do? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I uh, I definitely like adventure. There's no doubt about that. I like uh, you know pushing pushing the limits that we can uh, do and uh, creating opportunities, uh, exciting opportunities. Love traveling. Uh, you know, lived lived in the in the U.S. Uh, over a couple winters. Once down in Palm Springs and once down in uh, Florida. We had an opportunity down, uh, Chelsea and I, to go down to Florida for the winter and uh, work with the an adaptive ski program called On the Edge. And uh, uh, the founder of the program had uh, set us up. He had uh, got, you know, put us uh, put us up in a house and uh, gave us a lot of opportunities to just be able to get people out on the water. And uh, you know, it was ski boat out in the back there was a bunch of ski equipment there was uh, volunteers from the cypress gardens uh ski uh ski program so uh yeah i mean it was quite an opportunity and i think that uh you know there's been a few opportunities of course that we've we've uh, experienced over the years but i think in the next few years over you know, once COVID is uh, cleared up here, I'm really hoping that we can expand a little bit more internationally, have a little bit more international uh, uh, contribution to creating and supporting and, and hopefully, um, you know, get, getting some more peer programs set up locally in, uh, in developing countries. Or, yeah, so I'm hoping that that's something that we can we can do down the road. It's uh, I'm starting to notice more and more that these there's programs that are starting up, um, you know, in Africa and uh, Latin America. We were in the Asia meetings there last uh, on Sunday and Monday, the American Spinal Cord uh, Association meetings, and um, yeah, it was just neat to hear that there's opportunities happening around the world, and and hopefully we can continue to to uh, expand on them and. 
provide so have, our experiences. You have a big vision for uh, for what you're doing and and being able to expand it out throughout the the globe, maybe bringing the groups together. Is that well? Yeah, I mean it's a team effort. You know, like um, you know our our organize our little organization here in uh, the Okanagan Accessible Okanagan. Uh, you know, started out with with two people, which wasn't actually, you know, our intention in the first place. It was just to get together for coffee every week and um, just kind of have a little bit of peer support, I guess, if you want to call it that, just talking back and forth on the challenges that uh, both of us were having, even though that I was many years post-injury and uh, the other fellow was Ann and Cannon, who was just actually out of rehab at GF Strong. And um, yeah, it was just really trying to get your feet wet, get you know, get get uh, more or less back on your feet and back out into doing things or doing what you enjoy doing and just having a better quality of life. So, you know, it it started with two, but it you know it quickly grew to uh, you know six and twelve, and and now there's a, a few hundred members on there. But it's uh, you know, like I said, it's a team effort. There's a and it's a whole group of people that have uh, that make that happen, and that's what I'm. I would really like to see, and I think we would all like to see uh, be promoted and encouraged internationally. So then, what is what does peer support mean to you then on the whole? Um, you know, it's it's probably, in a sense, leading by example. You know, there's a lot of us that have, uh, you know, had a lot of years under our belts. Um, we're obviously all learning, still learning. There's there's things that we can always learn. That's why I kind of get a little bit frustrated with the peer mentor and the, uh, the mentee side of things because we all have something to learn and we all have something to provide. doesn't matter, you know, how many uh, years we're, we're post-injury. So, um yeah, I guess it's just, uh, it, it, it's encouraging, it's um, uplifting, it's, uh, you know, having a, a safe place for people to ask questions and not be intimidated. And um, yeah, which is what I really like about this program you've created here too, because it, you know, you've, you've asked some tough questions throughout the, you know, the, the last few sessions, and you're getting some pretty candid answers. So it's great to see. Yeah, you know, I, I think back when I first hurt myself, I I thought there was nothing I could do anymore and I'd never ride my mountain bike again. I thought, what was the point? Did you ever kind of go through that sort of dark phase? You know, I did, but surprisingly, it wasn't um, after my uh, spinal cord injury, Brian. It was actually after... Um, I had uh, damaged my shoulder, my left shoulder, and it, and that was many years later. That was, uh, geez, probably eight. Geez, I think maybe that was longer than that. Maybe eleven years after my uh, spinal cord injury, I had uh, damaged my shoulder pretty good, uh, left shoulder, and uh, since then I've had to have two shoulder surgeries, but it left me very dependent. And, um, you know, I, I was definitely depressed. You're, you've, you've now gone down to, 
more or less one limb, one functioning limb, and you, you know, you, you relied on, you know, family and friends and such to be able to uh, get you, you know, just your daily routines and all that to get through the, the, uh, the day and, and hopefully recover because I mean, those are always a little bit uncertain as well, shoulder recovery. So, um, but as far as my shoulder, or sorry, as far as my spinal cord injury was concerned, I mean, I was pretty young. I was 19 years old. Um, obviously, it, it's devastating. You know, I had a couple weeks there just after my uh, after my car accident that I, you know, you're in ICU. You're you're still recovering from not just your your spinal surgeries, but your you know facial reconstructions and all that jazz. And of course, it was a depressing moment, but I really had to put things into perspective. And um, I remember laying in bed and just realizing, okay, so, you know, if if there was a best time for this particular incident to happen, when would it be? And then I put it into perspective as you know what, you're, you're 19 years old, you're, you're, you know, young enough and strong enough to get through the rehab, you haven't officially started a career or you finished high school, but not necessarily started uh, college yet. You're not married. You don't have kids. You know, I tried to put all of these things into perspective to try and try and make a more positive outcome because I knew that it wasn't something that I was going to be able to change. So how do you put this into a light that is going to encourage you to get through the intense rehab program that you're about to go through? Um, and that was in Foothills. I was in Calgary. Um, but then when I went through the shoulder issues, I had, uh, my shoulder, my second shoulder, shoulder, shoulder surgery down in, uh, Vancouver and, uh, went through GF strong. And so that was in 2008, 2009. And, uh, that's where I had met Anna. And so it was, it was really interesting actually to see the two different perspectives of rehab facilities. Um, but at the same time, it, uh, it was kind of the, uh the light that started the the community that we uh that we've created out here you tend to look at things uh, not as failures but as opportunities to grow and and learn so can you flesh that out a bit more yeah i would definitely say that's the case i mean even even with the shoulder surgery shoulder surgeries i you know yeah i had to spend uh, six weeks just laying in bed keeping it immobilized before you were even able to start stretching it and not let alone strengthening it to to begin weight bearing to even be able to go home so you know that shoulder surgery uh, down in vancouver was a three-month process before even coming home to Kelowna. And then once coming home to Kelowna was another year of uh, outpatient therapy. So it, it definitely gave me, that six weeks gave me a, an awful good uh, uh, amount of time to put some things into perspective of what I would like to do with, with my life moving forward. Um, you know, prior to that, I, you know, I worked as, uh, in technical sales for civil engineering land surveying software and, and it was enjoyable, but it, it was definitely not necessarily the, you know, the calling that I was probably looking for. So having that time, that six weeks, you know, laying around and then, uh, the time meeting Anna there in, in GF strong definitely, definitely laid some things out for, uh, for the following 
12 years that we're sitting at now. Did you uh, sell a program called Road Edge? No. I, a, a program I, I tried to learn how to use. Okay. A, a road surveying, engineering surveying program. Right. That, that was my crack at trying to learn a program. Didn't go okay. so well. I read um, you have almost a thousand members, or is that bigger now? Or you know, I it, and it it's more or less just uh, it's more or less a Facebook group, Brian. So I mean, we go off of uh, kind of the the num the members that we have on our uh, kind of on our uh, on our private group, and we did we've got a public page and we've got a private group. Um, we decided to keep a private group because it, you know, it just kind of breeds a little bit more um, uh, open questions and, uh, you know, for people to maybe not necessarily feel intimidated to ask or post um, certain topics uh, of discussion that, you know, people would either like to have feedback on or, or provide feedback that they have learned. So, I would probably say that, you know, there's a few hundred members, a, I would few five, 600 members, I would say. And then of course, whoever's on the page as well, that just kind of follows along with some of the uh, more open topics. Did you imagine it to be as successful as, as it is? No, and no, definitely not. It's, you know, it's a pretty unique group. We, uh, uh, you know, it, it's definitely not all us. We've got an awful lot of uh, partners that we um, that we work with to make events happen. You know, our our members in our group, our board members as well. I mean, we're all part of different organizations, and you know, it's uh, all of our board members. Uh, all eleven of us have a disability scattered from the Soyuz to Camloops. Uh, um, we're all volunteers. Nobody gets paid. Um, we run our organization on less than $3,000 a year. And right. the, um, but the benefits are, you know, you create partnerships with multiple organizations, uh, you know, volunteers. It, it's, uh, it, it's pretty amazing, really. Like when we do create an event or come up with an event, it's, uh, it's, it always amazes me and I'm sure everybody else how it just kind of transforms and, and takes on a, a, you know, its own, its own uh, life and just, yeah, blows up if you want to call it that. So now we're, we're moving into the uh, fall and winter. What do you, what do you guys got going on? Well, of course, with the current situations, it's it's very, you know, sparse. We can't really do any major. We can't do any any real events as is, anyways, because it's just not, uh, you know, it's just not safe to to us and uh, you know everybody that's involved in it, of course. So we got to keep that on download. But I mean, you know, once things lift up, and hopefully, you know, sooner rather than later, maybe maybe it'll be next year, maybe it'll be the year after, hopefully soon. I mean, I think that everybody is itching to have a party. So, um, yeah, so we there, like to. Is there fundraising like that. that fundraising that happens then a little bit that you guys do, or? 
you know, we have done some some fundraising, but realistically, like the the community that we have here and the opportunities that that we have with, uh, you know, I mean, geez, bands, um, <laughs> lakefront properties, um, you know, food. We can get food. Uh, um, uh, provided or donated or I mean the community has come together many many times to create events that should be you know tens of thousands of dollars and they end up costing us six hundred dollars for you know three uh, out accessible outhouses nice so you know it, it, it's pretty awesome when you can actually have you know rely on a community like that because I mean everybody has their own uh, connections we're all from completely different walks of life different backgrounds different professional backgrounds it's just really neat to see how diverse this group is and how you know a community can come together to have an awful lot of fun it is really amazing once once the ball starts to roll how how much uh steam it picks up eh how much people want to come and help out yeah Tell me a bit about Praxis. How does that does that fit into uh, AO at all? Yeah, definitely. It's um, so the position that uh, I had taken on last year is a, a BC Interior Community Liaison position. So basically, the um, the idea here is to take you know what you hear with the community. Um, relay that to the research community so that you know they know exactly what uh you know what topics are of um you know concern for us i mean we know what our topics are it's how do we how do we convey that to the people that are um you know obviously funding and uh and researching these topics and then the other aspect is taking that knowledge that's um that's been created and Relaying that to clinicians, interior health, um, obviously our community. Um, yeah, so it's it's kind of that bridging those gaps, I guess. It's, it's pretty neat to, you know, uh, or, uh, the University of BC, um, the Okanagan here is, uh, I don't know if we can talk names and all that, but anyways, there's a research facility here just for, uh, spinal cord injury and one of the big topics of course was knowledge translation and being able to you know include people with spinal cord injuries in the research and also be able to uh, utilize um, you know people with lived experience to provide the information to the community and I think that uh, you know I'm I'm a, I'm very proud of Praxis for for hiring on um, five of us with spinal cord injuries. It's the only institute in the in the world that has got five people with lived experience working in their um, consumer team to, yeah, through all the aspects of it, commercialization, the, um, you know, some standards and such, at least we're being, our voices uh, is being heard. How did you get involved? I, well, actually, I know, I've known John Cherneski for years, and uh, he had mentioned, you know, a position coming available for a consumer liaison. Uh, 
actually a number of regional consumer liaisons throughout BC. And uh, so over time, finally, the position became uh, available. It was posted. And um, yeah, I had, uh, it was between jobs and uh, it was a perfect opportunity to jump on board. So yeah, I, I applied and um, a little surprised that I got it because there's, you know, there was a couple other people here in, in the Okanagan that I feel were um, definitely more qualified um, on in, on certain aspects than, than what I was. So, um, but boy, would it be nice to bring them on as well. So we'll see where that goes. Is there any uh, research that's getting you excited? Um, you know, just going through the, <laughs> I, I am very peer driven, Brian, and, um, I'm more on the, uh, the care side than the cure side. I mean, I think that, uh, most of the people that I know, uh, know me as I, I could care less about walking around. Um, but as far as the care side is concerned, I would uh, would love to see more international influence from our organization, from our uh, our institute that has international influence uh, on promoting the uh, the care to spinal cord injuries that need it the most. And I feel that in North America and uh, you know. Most countries in Europe, Australia, New Zealand, I think that we have it awfully good. Um, there's always room for improvement, of course, but I feel that at this point in time, the, the biggest room for improvement is in uh, emerging countries. And that's where I would like to see an awful lot more resources and, uh, and uh, teams being built to support those areas. Practice website seems focused on a future without SCI. Do you think we need to focus more on quality of life research? Yeah, I mean, I feel that there there's a there's a lot of initiatives going on in different in different areas. I mean, the uh, the uh, epidural stimulation seems to be a, a big you know, topic these days. And, you know, that's great. I think that it's excellent. Let's, you know, move forward and, and learn all about it. And I think that there's potential in such and that there's potential in many different avenues, but I do feel that the quality of life, um, I guess I look at it as from a greater population of spinal cord injuries that could use the support. Um, you know, back in the 40s, we a lot of our our injuries were typically measured in days. What's your you know your life you know life expectancy mm. depending on your level of injury? I mean, it it was definitely measured in days. And I mean, here we are in 2020, and uh, I've known people living well into their 80s with spinal cord injuries that have had they've had spinal cord injuries for 60 years. Yeah. So I mean, I. You know, I think that our quality of life here is definitely uh, uh, really good. And I, I would just like to see more of this uh, on that greater population of, uh, 
I guess, on a international stage. Do you feel like that's sort of like a responsibility for anybody who has a little bit more ability and can be an advocate that, that we always try to support everyone when it comes to disability or I, I sometimes I, I feel like we uh, I feel like it's sort of my responsibility sometimes like as a quad that you know I I have a few less struggles than somebody who's more disabled than I am so I feel like it's my responsibility to include those people and in whatever I'm doing to uh, further or better life uh, in general for people with disabilities? Yeah, I, I suppose so. I mean, I just, I, yeah, I mean, obviously having a spinal cord injury and, and that's what, you know, I can relate to. That's what, you know, our, uh, our peers, I mean, we're, we're a very diverse group, so I'm not going to be specific on spinal cord injury. That's for yeah. sure. I mean, the, the group has a, you know, it's extremely diverse with multiple different challenges and such. But um, from a personal sp- perspective from spinal cord injury, I think that that is what, what I can con- contribute. That's what right. I can relate to. And, uh, you know, having a, a team of uh, people with lived experience and different levels of injury i mean that's where it really comes into play right like i don't know exactly how it feels to you know be a c6 uh complete quad i mean i can i've seen quite a few c6 complete quads so i can you know get a pretty good feeling of that but i don't actually know but if i meet somebody and uh you know you can see that they could probably benefit from somebody else that's in the same situation hook them up you know connect those people what do you uh, see as being some of the areas that need focus in terms of quality of life um i think the transition home from rehab is a big one um i think that's where the quality of life is really going to come into play because if you if you can create a uh you know a a regional uh um, interdisciplinary you know group of professionals and and obviously uh support groups uh, that they can connect with when they come home to their regional areas because that's the biggest challenge that we experience or that i have seen is uh you know not everybody is going to be going to be living in Vancouver, you know, you're going to go through your rehab and we're just talking provincially here, go to, go to GF strong, do your rehab. They're, they're not necessarily going to just stay in Vancouver where all the resources are. Most people want to go home and, and uh, you know, enjoy the family, friends or whatever, you know, they're used to. So, but that's what I see as the biggest challenge is that transition home, because that is of course when the real rehab begins so having a group that they can they can rely on that they can confide in is uh is probably one of the biggest you know quality of life aspects that i think that we could change um or at least improve on across canada you know in our in nationally yeah we could do that internationally that'd be great but you know 
that's one definitely one aspect that we can improve on in Canada. So uh, changing the subject a little bit, last year I saw a short film your wife made about the challenges you both faced while trying to have a child. What would, what's that been like for you? Well, it was an experience. There's no doubt about that. It's, um, yeah, it, uh, and not only that, but uh, to have a camera in your face the entire time was, uh, you know, that's, that's what you get when you, uh, when you're married to a filmmaker. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it, it was definitely an interesting, interesting endeavor because I mean, it, so we've got the tools and the, you know, the, you know, the devices and such to try and make those things work at home. You know, the different uh, vibral stimulate stimulation devices and the, uh, I, yeah, I mean, just any way that you can try and, uh, you know, collect sperm, I guess, at home would be the, the way to, the way to go. So then you don't have to actually go into a clinical setting and such, but anyways, for me and, uh, and my level of injury T67 is, um, not as likely to collect sperm at home. Whereas, uh, from what I understand, believe it or not, the higher your injury, the more likely you can stimulate a prostate and ejaculate. So, yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. Learned that um, through the process. But so anyways, with the with the viral stimulation and all that, it's actually only worked for me three times uh, with two different devices. So and that's been, you know, what year, years and like over a decade. So it's not something that, um, you know, is easy to accomplish. So anyways, we did go down to the I-Cord Center and the Sexual Health Center. And uh, they were able to do the clinical uh, side of things and, and do the vibral stem and, and did get a sample. It was kind of interesting because Chelsea had to put the sample in her, in her jacket and literally run it over down the street to the fertility clinic so that they could uh, clean it and uh, uh, freeze it and, and do what they do. But uh, she thought it was rather, rather funny. Actually, she's got a little scene in the in the wheel of documentary there of her doing that and thought it was pretty funny but um so anyways we did we collected uh, a sample then we did go back down there uh i think it was six months seven months later to do another um, pr um procedure but it didn't work the second time didn't work so anyways we were able to collect three samples uh, sperm count wasn't great. I mean, that's, you know, 20, almost 20 years in a chair. So it's, uh, but at least there was some swimmer saw one just flying across the screen. I was pretty sure that was going to be the, that was going to be the guy, but that's okay. So <laughs> then we, uh, what we did is we actually had the sample shipped up here to Kelowna because there's a fertility clinic here in Kelowna. And we did a, uh, an IUI, so just the interuterine insemination. Um, not verily, the, the, the chances of that working are fairly low. So it didn't work the first time. We waited a few months. We tried it a second time, still didn't work. So now we have one more sample left, but we're, uh, at this point, we're just considering other options. So, um, 
kind of keep our eyes open. Like I said, we've still got that one one sample left, but it's uh, you know, we're we're not we don't absolutely need to uh, to go that route. I think that there's some other options that would be uh, maybe more uh, more enlightening. Well, I did I didn't uh, do this to to uh, talk about your wife, but again. She made a film, Reinventing the Wheel. Can you tell me a, a bit about that and uh, how one would set up a free screening or something I think I saw? Or... Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, this is, we're all extremely proud of, uh, you know, obviously uh, Chelsea and Ryan for doing, for actually making this film, but probably more so about the community that's been created that, uh, you know, is really doesn't let people just sit around, you know, it's, uh, in the movie, it's like, uh, what Will had said there, it's more about peer pressure than peer support. <laughs> and it's, it really is. I mean, we, I mean, not, not, uh, not, not negatively. We just, you know, make sure that we can we do our best at, get, at uh, getting people out and enjoying and having fun. And so that's basically what this is. This movie follows uh, uh, Dan McLean and Colleen McLean, his wife, which is also the unique aspect of this because it, it in incorporates the family, right? It incorporates what the spouse is going through as well, because as we all know, a lot of times it uh, it impacts our loved ones more than it does us because we're just so consumed with the rehab process and, you know, and the, the recovery and all that, uh, that the spouses tend to get left out a little bit. So that's what's really neat about this, this movie is it's, it's showcasing, it's actually documenting the entire progress of one year post-injury of a spinal cord injury coming home after uh, after going to rehab and learning how to do things on their own, get active again, get integrated into a community, be, get the support that you need, be comfortable with that, um, be comfortable traveling, see that, uh, you know, it's not all bad. There's definitely a lot of things, uh, you know, a lot of exciting opportunities that we can do. Mm. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's a really neat, I, I think it's an absolutely awesome, uh, awesome movie. I know uh, Dr. K has seen it and some of the staff down at, uh, at uh, Praxis. And of course, a lot of people in our community have seen it. It's, it's a little bit unfortunate because when we, when we, when Chels puts out a video, we usually, you know, have a fairly big screening of it. And right now we got to keep numbers down. So there's always these tiny little pockets of screenings here and there. And uh, it's in the middle of film festivals so people can see them online. Um, hopefully down the road we can do a, uh, a cross-Canada tour into the rehab facilities and, and do screenings in each of those. And then hopefully you know, these rehab facilities would also uh, embrace this and uh, include it into their program so that they can, you know, show it to new injuries and such. And it, it, it's a lot of education. Um, a lot of the teenagers that see this have a lot of questions, and but but they, they get a pretty good, you know, uh, gist of the, the, 
the situation and there's a lot of humor in it. Um, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, topics that we probably wouldn't necessarily here in a, uh, a uh, in an inspirational video, which <laughs> is not what this is necessarily intended to be. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Anyways, I think that uh, I think it's going to be uh, well received by an international community. At least uh, we all hope so. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to uh, seeing it. I it's just sounds amazing, and the the trailer that I saw just just looks great. For what in your life do you feel most grateful? Ooh. Well, I guess many things, uh, Brian. I mean, life in general. I feel uh, I feel extremely grateful for you know being able to tack on an extra twenty three years. That's been uh, extraordinary. Um, obviously, uh, you know the the community that we've created here is. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. Um, you know, Chelsea being able to um, also just get integrated into the community, create a, a, a support group called Wheel Love for spouses is uh, her and a friend of hers um, created, um, yeah, just created this. And now it's just a, a big team effort. So um, I don't, they've been doing blog posts and such. Anyways, I'm getting a little bit off topic, but it's, no yeah, it's, I'm grateful for an awful lot of things. I'm grateful for living where we live, uh, grateful for the opportunities to come, um, you know, and if we can help more people out with spinal cord injuries, uh, just, just see that there can be a fulfilling life. That would be, that's great. And not just people with spinal cord injuries, it's people in general. Yeah. Just a big, yeah. one big happy community. Yeah. If you could have anybody in the world over for dinner, who would it be? Oh boy. Um, oh geez. <laughs> Dumped. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, anybody in the world. Do you have any famous people that you you follow or that you're interested in, or scientist, or uh, I don't know, an athlete, or. You know what, Brian? I, honestly, I don't. <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't. I I like I obvious. I like having. Uh, I like ha hanging out with family. I obviously love hanging out with friends. So. You know what? Uh, I, I guess those are some of the most important to me. So, yeah, strangely, I guess, eh? I always wanted to uh, meet Robin Williams. Okay. And I was lucky enough to meet him. Oh, wow. So the, the dream came true. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. My, actually, Chels worked with uh, Anthony Hopkins, and that was her dream. Uh, dream actor to work with and uh he definitely didn't disappoint so yeah I've, uh, I've heard he's quite an amazing guy yeah um you said you were listening to the uh to the podcast do you listen to other podcasts 
you know what? Yours is the only one I've listened to, and it's the only one I have listened to. Well, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next bunch of sessions coming out here. Oh, that's real. That's good. Yeah. I love to hear that. Do you have any daily habits that you would like to share that have made the biggest difference to your health and well being? Yep. Routine. Routine, routine, routine. I know they say that in rehab, but uh, actually, I was just talking to it with my buddy Scotty yesterday and uh, just saying that was one of the biggest things that I. Uh, found helped out with my uh, recovery was, you know, it's uh, our bladder and bowels don't work all that well, of course, uh, or at all, if you want to say that after our injury. And it's about, you know, conditioning our bodies in a sense or understanding our bodies. And uh, that first year post injury was uh, a shit show to say the least. And uh, yeah, so I took a year off after my injury and, you know, just tried to. You know, get a get your feet kind of on the ground there, and and understand the situation. I lived with a couple of buddies that were extremely uh, uh, accommodating um, because it wasn't always the you know the, uh, the, the didn't always smell like roses. Let me put no. it like that, Brian. No, it can be a little embarrassing at times. Well, it really is. So yeah, that first year was you know it was very difficult. It was frustrating. There was some some parts in there that were, you know, obviously you got, you know, you were angry about things, but you know, once I, uh, I started working, which was almost a year after my, my injury, it, it pushed me to create that routine. I had to be at work at a certain time. I came home at a certain time. I, I got up at a decent time. I was on the can at the same time you started to create that routine. And uh, personally, I, I like to go every day. The reason I go every day is because I know where the consistency is. I know where, you know, where I'm comfortable at, where, yeah. the, where, the, where the body's at. And um, so, yeah, after that, you know, it wasn't that I, it, it just stopped. The accident stopped when I started working, but it slowly started to, uh, you know, subside. The body started to you know, get into a routine. And, and now it's almost like it's the other way around. So 23 years later, I need help pushing everything down yeah. instead of it just flowing right through you. So, yeah. you know, your, your body does uh, tend to change and you need to, um, you need to change with it. You yeah. Need to understand it to, and change. I've had to learn how to adapt a little bit too. Like I initially, would go every other day and now I kind of do like uh like Monday, Wednesday and Saturday because that seems to work be best with the rhythm of my body. Yep. And it took a while to sort of figure that out and uh, it kind of gives me a little leeway to uh to change if I have an appointment or something. I sort of have that Wednesday, Thursday where I can sort of flip back and forth. So that's that's sort of like I don't know if that's kind of like when you talk about praxis if if that's also things that you share like um, knowledge that we that different people use different routines I don't know if that's oh absolutely in the language of what you're doing yeah I mean those are you know bowel bladders and sexual function are like the top three you know, 
you know, things that prime the, the most of us uh, would like to see further developed, um, further researched, for more more technology uh, or utilizing the latest technology to um, you know reduce bladder and bowel accidents, maybe increase sexual function, you know those kind of things. So I mean that's those, <laughs> I definitely bring that up an awful lot or whenever I can when we're in certain meetings at, at Praxis. And uh, yeah, it's, I think that we're, we're getting there. Well, I know that we're getting there. I mean, you know, the, the programs that we're working on now that the technologies that are, uh, are coming around um, are innovative. They're including some of the, the more modern technology, the, the, a wireless technology, the Bluetooth, the apps, you know, your smartphones, like it's, these are things that uh, are coming around. Nothing happens quickly as we all know, but um, it is neat to see that uh, the, the companies or entrepreneurs are listening to this and they're uh, creating, they're trying to create solutions, innovative solutions for this. So, that is that is what's really neat working at uh, Praxis is seeing these um, these new technologies coming around and yes. that we can support that because it's our we're we're involved the consumers are involved in the process. So almost like a tide process where information comes in gets translated and then gets put back out into the community so so to speak yeah definitely i mean it's the new the latest and greatest technologies you know like i was saying the 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 use of smartphones and apps and you know wireless bluetooth technologies for you know monitoring you know bladder pressure or uh the you know the possibility of uh, a uti um you know, same with consistency in, in uh, stool, in the bowel, so that it can give us alert systems or it can let it notify us when it's time to void or, you know, those types of things. But it's all, you know, right now it's, you know, it, it's rather hypothetical. There's, I mean, there's ideas and such, but there's nothing necessarily on the market that we can uh, um, just go out and purchase and use or have implanted or that type of thing. But I, I can see that this is going to be something that will be coming around in the not too distant future. So not too distant future as in the next decade, but you know what I mean? So I'm, I might be a few years older than you. Just no, maybe um, one or two, but yeah, you go ahead. Maybe a couple, but um, there's not a lot of resources for aging with an SCI. And I, I feel like that's uh, maybe another front, you know, as someone your age, as you're moving forward, I don't know, like if, if you've really felt the bite of aging yet or if you're starting to really feel it now or oh yeah well i'm what am i here 43 43 uh 
you know, 23 years post-injury, you know, a couple shoulder surgeries, you know, uh, femur spiral fractures, yours, you notice it there. You don't, you know, you, you yeah. can try and pretend that you don't, but, uh, you know, it's just like my, my buddies and I, uh, talk about, you know, we've been, uh, friends for 12 years when we kind of started our little community. And back then we were just, you know, young bucks and, uh, we tell all these younger, these younger, uh, new, newly injured spinal cord injuries that, uh, you know, we're, we're getting old yeah. and we have to pass this buck over and they're going to be the up and coming, you know, generation that takes this uh, flag and runs with it because, you know, it's, don't get me wrong. We still got a few years left, but I think by the time we're, we're 50, we'll be, we'll be ready to, you know, build a house in Costa Rica and uh, sit on uh, sit on the beach with a bunch of wheelies. Cool. I got a 120 acres of of bare land we, we could build something on. Oh, we can build. We joke about this, Brian, but we call it the facility. Oh, it's it's there. If you want it, it's yours. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, we're we're gonna need it's gonna need 10 bedrooms and uh, a cook and uh yeah uh, uh uh we need a good qualified nurse. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's wrap her up with some words of wisdom. What can you sh- share with me for some some words of wisdom for those young bucks out there? Um, protect your assets. Make sure that you uh, check your skin. Um, wake up. Enjoy your time. I mean, we, uh, we're not here that long, as, as you and I know, and we're getting... We're realizing that more and more as we, we get older. Just enjoy the opportunities, create opportunities, and uh, make sure to include others around you. Nice. Well, James, it's been awesome to talk to you. I was, I was really looking forward to it, and it's been great talking to you. This is great, Brian. Thanks for doing this. It's, uh, I think that it's I know that it's uh, helpful and and uh, educational, and um, yeah, keep on doing it. Plug along. It's uh, it's a great little uh, great little program you got. Thanks, man, and thank you so much for sharing. Absolutely, my pleasure. Good luck, Brian. Take care, brother. Okay, you too. Thanks again to James Heckner for being our first guest on season two. For more information on Accessible Okanagan, check them out on Facebook and AccessibleOkanagan.org. For links to the films Reinventing the Wheel and Wheel Love, check out the Quad Life Facebook page. We will have them posted there. That's it for the show, and don't forget, if you shit your pants, just get back out there. <laughs>